Hey, thanks so much for your interest in this sermon. We're gonna get right to it in just a minute. Before we do that, I wanna let you know that what you're about to watch is part of a greater series called The Forest in the Seed. And it's more than just a teaching series, it's actually a year-end initiative where we're asking everybody to consider at King's Church, how do I take ownership and bless what God is blessing to feed what's been feeding me? How do I move into stewardship and even maybe partnership? And I wanna ask you to consider that same thing. If this ministry and these sermons have blessed you, I wanna ask you to consider joining us as we do a year-end offering on December 1st. And you can do that online. You can go to our website at kingschurch.cc and find out more about how you can partner with us and help get this message out farther than ever before and before more people than ever before. So I want to ask you to consider partnering. But before that, why don't you enjoy this message? Well, today is a good day, amen? I knew it would be a good day because I was up all night, so... My, uh, my little guy got hit with some kind of bug yesterday afternoon. Parents, you know how it goes. And, and uh, I've, I've been at this long enough to know like important days uh, in the life of our church oftentimes get, get extra enemy fire. And so uh, that's also, I've been at this long enough to get excited by it. Uh, you know, you get some oncoming fire when you're about to hit a priority target. And I believe today uh, is a priority target that God is about to do something. And he has been all weekend, the response uh, to the end of our series that we've been calling The Forest and the Seed, and it's been an engagement initiative here in the life of our church. It's been a family talk, a moment where we've collected ourselves, we've, we've asked ourselves, and we've measured ourselves about our priorities, and we've asked the Lord, how do you want us to invest ourselves as we move into the future? And it's been a four-week journey where we've been talking all about this question, how do we live a life that benefits us? How do we live life to the full? How do we live a life that benefits us, blesses others, that, that we don't just have enough, but we have more than enough. That's who God is, and he wants us to bear fruit. Fruit means that we had enough for ourselves and then enough for others, amen? And then we ask the question, so how do we build a life that benefits us, blesses others, and, and leaves and builds a lasting legacy? God is a God of generations, and God has called us to not just live a life that impacts others while we're living, but it actually outlives us when we go. And so we've been asking those questions over the past few weeks. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would have, actually. It's been really rich, and it's been a helpful thing uh, for us to look at and talk about as a church. And today is the culmination of this series. And man, it's been a really amazing just fall run, you know, as we kind of end fall and we head into Christmas season starting next week. We're going to do a brand new series beginning next week uh, called Comeback Christmas. We're going to just look at different comebacks that you see in the scripture related to Christmas. That's going to be a ton of fun. But this is kind of the end of what's been a great fall season where we've sought revival and we've seen amazing things. Even last week we saw, I believe, 32 people baptized at all of our locations. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. My buddy John was baptized. John keeps saying, if I get baptized, I get to preach. That's, that's, we made a deal, right? So he, he's, we're training him. So, but we had 32 people baptized last week. And then uh, the cooler thing about that was that actually took us as a church, get this, in seven years, we passed the 700 baptism mark. 700 people we've gone kakunk in Jesus' name. It's amazing. Even more incredible is that of those 700, 703 in seven years, of those 700, 153 were in the last seven weeks. So that's, uh, that's what I call increase, that God is a God of multiplication and things are exponentially. And I'm believing for the day very, very soon where we baptize number 1,000, number 1,000, and we keep moving well past that. God's going to do great things, amen? But he's going to grab our partnership and he's going to use our partnership. And today we're about to give, as people have been giving all weekend long, unto the fruit and the, and the future effectiveness of the ministry here at King's Church. And the response has been incredible. And you're about to give here in just a few minutes. But to, 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 before we give, I thought it'd be appropriate to, to maybe give some context. to. So for some of you that might be just here for the first time, or maybe you're new to the Christianity thing, you're not so sure about it all, I want to help you understand beneath the surface why someone sitting near you today might be led to give a commitment of their finances and their time into the future today. I want to help you understand what's going on beneath the surface of what to you might seem a little crazy. 
And I'll tell you something, there's some people that are doing some crazy things to the untrained eye. But if you have eyes to see what's really going on, it's not crazy at all. And I want to, to, to help us today, I want to look at one particular passage of scripture in Luke chapter 7. Luke's probably my favorite gospel just because I've, I've spent the most time in it. And Luke chapter 7 is telling the story of a woman that we'd already talked about before we took communion today who, who interrupted a meal at a guy named Simon the, the Pharisee's house where Jesus was. Jesus is in there. He's got all of his disciples and his buddies and there's Pharisees there. It's the religious elite of the day. And this woman who's not supposed to be there comes in and makes a scene that completely confused the onlookers, but absolutely blessed Jesus. And Jesus was so moved by it that he said, wherever my gospel is preached, this woman will be held up as a standard. And I actually preached this message back at our Harvest Women's Conference from this text, not this message today, but we studied that text and I have been marinating on it. And I thought, what better picture of why a person gives than what this woman did? And so I want to look at that because in the room that day, not unlike what's happened this weekend, there have been people who gave lavish gifts and extravagant gifts, but also some people that may be scratching their heads wondering, why would you do that? I mean, it's coming into Christmas time. We got bills to pay. We got to make ends meet. Why would you do something like that? These are the questions actually that they were asking in the room when this woman broke in. All four gospel accounts, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the same story about Jesus. Who's the gospel about? Yes, you're seeing if you're with me. Y'all weren't up all night too, were you? Okay. Yeah, they're all about Jesus and they're all the same, the same story from four different perspectives. But all four gospels, and this is very unusual, all four gospels record this account. This was such a profound thing. And three of the gospels all identify how ludicrous this seemed to the onlookers. They, they were like, what are you doing? Why would you use that for this? They couldn't understand it. Look at all three, three gospels. Mark says, after she came in and she pours this perfume, this expensive perfume worth a year's wages, she pours it on Jesus. Look what they say. It says, some of those present were saying indignantly, to one another. Why this, say the word, why this waste? Why would you spend that on him like this? Why this waste? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. This is worth 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages in Jesus's day. So this is not a small gift. This is an extravagantly valuable thing. And it says that it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and there's better use for that money. Look what they said. You could have given it to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So Mark records that. Matthew records the exact same thing. Matthew said he was there. He said, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? Why would you give? What are you doing? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and given to the poor. John records the same thing. And John says it was actually Judas who spoke up. Now, if you read along, Judas doesn't end well, but we can, we can get to that later. But one of his disciples, Judas, said, uh, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So three of the gospels are like, what are you doing? Why would you do this? And then one gospel, Luke, not only notes how crazy it was that she would do this and the questions surrounding it, but Luke also notes something different. Luke asks questions about Jesus and why he was so moved and what was motivating her. Look what, look what Luke says. Luke says that when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man, speaking of Jesus, were a real prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman this is, that she is a sinner. So there were two different lines of questioning going on in this account. The majority of it is, what on earth are you doing? Why would you spend on him like that? And the second is getting into the deeper motivations of what's going on between her and Jesus. And I want to just use those questions today to help us track before we give our, our, our annual offering. And here's the first question we want to ask today is why this waste? Now for this woman, here's the easiest way to answer this. And, and you probably know this in your mind, but maybe God will give us revelation today. For this woman, this was not a waste. This was money well spent. 
This was a shrewd and wise investment. Jesus actually stands up later and what does he say? He, he, he rebukes them back and he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he tells what? He says that she has anointed me for what? For burial. That what she did here is contributing to a much larger purpose. Do you see the connection? He's saying this, there wasn't a single drop of this wasted. In fact, she has used this more appropriately and more shrewdly than she ever possibly could have spreading it out over a lifetime. Dumping it on me has prepared me for burial and this is going to save the whole world. It's a pretty good investment. So he's saying this was worth it. You just need eyes to see it. And I want to say that for, I want to take a couple minutes today as for some of you, as we've been going through this series about, about this idea of investing ourselves, I've been asking each person at the church to make an investment. I've been asking each one to make an investment of your, your time, your talent, and your treasure. We talked about that over the past few weeks. Anybody enjoyed this series? Good. Okay, good. Encourage your brother. Yes. I've been asking you to make an investment, an investment and a commitment of your time, your talent, and your treasure, and basically calling everybody to ask God, what would you have me do? And there's a different variety. There's a, there's a, a spectrum of people and scenarios that, that need to ask this question. First, there's a bunch of people that you come here on a weekly basis. You enjoy this church. You're, you're, you would call yourself part of it, that this is your church. However, you really just sit on the sidelines. You don't know anybody really. You're not connected in a meaningful way. You're not serving and you're not giving. And I want to ask some of you to say and ask the question, if this is my church, am I feeding what feeds me? Am I benefiting from the fruitfulness of this church from seed that other people have sown? And is it time for me to stand up and sow some seed myself? And so a bunch of you need to ask that question. And I just, I love you enough to say it. And if this isn't going to be your church, go find another church that will, will carry you along. But is it a nice way to say leave? No, it's not a nice way. To, no, for real. Like if you're still exploring the faith, you don't know if you're following Jesus. You take as long as you want. We're here till you get it. But if you're part of the family, there comes a time where you got to stop sleeping on the couch and you stop freeloading off dad's money, right? Like that's, how else do you say it? Take some ownership. Some of you need to move. This is my third, third time doing this this weekend. So, and this is a, the no sleep version. Some of you need to move from ownership to stewardship. And this is really, as a pastor, really where I, where I care more. Um, you know, I, I hope that some of you, you, you're not just a taker, but you're a giver and you move to ownership today. But really, there's a bunch of you that I want you to see and experience God in a new way. And this is really where it starts to happen. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And we talked about what happens when you seek God first. When you put God first in your finances and you carve out a space financially and say, before I spend anything, I give to God. And you carve out in your schedule and you say, God, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will pray every day. When I get up, I'm going to try to put my thoughts to you first. Let me use my mouth first unto you. Let me use my time first unto you. Let me steward my family unto you. This is this idea of first fruit giving, giving God first dibs. Because what happens is when you give God access to the first, he gets access to the rest. And I know there's a bunch of people here that can testify the shift that happened in your life when you put God first, all of a sudden heaven becomes real. God hands become, God's hand becomes visible, doesn't it? I can't tell you how many bug-eyed people I get all the time who put God to the test in this way that come to me and said, you won't believe what happened this week. I did this and God did this. Anybody testify to God's hand as you put him first? He just does it. So I want to ask some of you to move to stewardship. And still more of you, there's a, there's a large group, and I can't believe the response in this so far this weekend. So many of you who are already practicing stewardship, you already give regularly, you already are connected in. I want to ask you as a one-time gift to give a partnering offering where, where you invest just as sacrificially. And it's just an offering unto the Lord. And some of you are going to go so aggressive that you're going to be what I call a kingdom builder. And these are the people that are helping to finance the kingdom. And if you want to be part of a kingdom builder group, uh, these are on, your, on the seat nearby. 
And if you give a gift up to $3,600 or more, that's a kingdom builder. How did I get that number? It's not arbitrary. It's from the story of Gideon. If you want to know more about being a kingdom builder, you can come talk to a brother. All right? So, but if you want to actually be a kingdom builder, I'd encourage you to do that. So here's, here's what the call is for everybody. Now, what we're doing with it, this is really what I want to talk about. Because what we're doing is not just trying to pay the bills. We're doing fine. We could go on just like we are, and, and that's, that's that. But God did not call us to just exist. God didn't call us to coast, did he? God called us to press in and to make a difference and to go into all the nations and reach people in the name of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. And we, need, we know that if we don't get intentional about it, we will not see the growth happen. And so this is about taking a surplus and investing it strategically back into the kingdom. That's what we're doing here. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's the whole idea here. But specifically, I wanted to answer some questions and I got some exciting news for us today. And I want to kind of give some color to what we're going to do as this offering comes in, how we're going to sow it or plant it strategically. This is not so Pastor Brent can have a bigger, a bigger salary and a nice big Christmas. That's not what this is about. This is specifically about the ministry going forward. It's new territory. Can I get an amen? Anybody excited for new territory? So here's some of the things that we want to do right away. Some of the areas or soil, we're calling it, that we want to invest new seed. The first area is this idea of transformation. How many of you know this is the business that we're in? That's what we do. Some of you, like you, your, your business, you work at McDonald's, you're in the fast food business. Some of you, you're, you're in the financial industry or some of you, you're in the forestry or whatever it is you do. We are in the transformation business. We're in the business where we bring this transforming power of Jesus, the original transformer. My 80s kids. He's the original transformer. He is the life power that when he comes to blind eyes, he transforms them into eyes that can see. Where he comes to chains, he transforms that into freedom. Where he comes to death, he transforms that into life. Where he comes to bondage, he looses that. That's what Jesus does. He's a transforming agent. He brings life where there was death, light where there was darkness. Can I get an amen? I'm going to preach till you acknowledge it. Yeah, so we are in the transforming business. That's what we do. And everything we do is under those ends. And so we want to expand this intentionally in a few specific areas. First, we have had a beautiful blessing show up in our ministry over the last three, four years now called Celebrate Recovery. Anybody familiar with CR? We run it here on Tuesday nights. Yeah, we got some CR people. And it's specifically designed to help people who are navigating with hurts, habits, and hangups, which we've subsequently found out is everyone. So we found this to be such a fruitful thing, not just for the people it's helping. Guess what? It's made King's Church better. It's made King's Church healthier, and we've noticed a grace on it. You ever want to figure out what God wants you to do? Sometimes you don't need to look for an audible voice. You just need to see what his hand is on. And his hand has been on this. And so what we want to do is we want to see it go beyond just happening here at the Valley, but anywhere we have a presence as a church, we want to launch Celebrate Recovery. And I was in Halifax last weekend, and we want to launch CR in Halifax right away. So we want to invest in that. We want to open that ministry up in Halifax and to begin that there with our people. We also want to see expanded partnerships. We aren't one of these churches that just thinks we have to be the inventor and the originator of all good ideas. There are great people in the church of God. We, we are part of the capital C church and we are looking for kingdom partnerships that will help move the needle and bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven here in the region. And so we are trying to get back into the prison ministry. We, we did that a few years ago and the door kind of shut on us. We are in Jesus name opening it. Uh, we are also uh, very passionate about Alpha. Anybody go through Alpha before? Uh, really passionate about that. We'll be running that again. And actually, I got a, a cool door open for Melanie and I. We're going to be in January going uh, to actually meet with Nikki Gumbel and the people at Holy, Holy Trinity Brompton. And so that's going to be really cool. Just again, favor of God, though. God is opening doors. So we're listening, right? And missions, other things. We also want to be diligent in outreach and evangelism. I'll even add the word marketing in there. Some of you are like, marketing? Listen, this is a business. It's God's business. And I don't want to be guilty when we have the best product in the world being quiet about it. 
I don't want to be guilty. Like, how dare we, the church, let Toyota convince everybody that they have the keys to life? Please. We got the life. We got the truth. We know where freedom is. We got it here. Come get it, right? Like, we're carrying it. And I want to get more diligent about figuring out ways. You know, we've made mistakes in the past. Let me just rant. It's the third service. We've made mistakes in the past as the church, selling people church. People aren't looking for church. They're looking for life. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out how to broadcast that Jesus is life. And so I'm excited about figuring out new ways to do evangelism. God's put some passion and some ideas in me. But specifically, something we launched four years ago, and we did a little campaign called Move. We did something where we felt God was moving us from a local church to a regional presence. And we now have locations that did not exist four years ago. This morning, there's a couple hundred people meeting in Halifax, a few hundred people meeting on the west side of St. John because we moved in obedience to God. But we still have a dream of having a presence all over the Maritimes. We want to still get to St. John's, Newfoundland. Any, new, any, any Newfoundland people? Yes. Hey, we want to get to St. John's. We also believe that God is opening up a burden for us to get to southwest New Brunswick down in Charlotte County and get to St. Stephen. We believe that God also is, is highlighting some places in Nova Scotia. And there's more talk about other churches jumping in and becoming part of King's Church than ever before. And we believe God's going to start opening those doors. But today, I feel like Steve Jobs a little bit. I have an announcement. Um, beginning next fall, let me just do this and, and just Vanna White. <laughs> Happening uh, September, we are launching, come on, we are launching King's Church Halifax or King's Church Charlottetown in September 2020. September 2020, we're going to be launching King's Church, Charlottetown, and I'm so excited about it. Even just in the two services, and then it's gone out online, I'm already getting connects saying, oh, we've been waiting for this, and so we're very excited. The reason we have taken a couple of years to do it has been because we've been waiting for God's leaders, and uh, God has finally um, connected the dots, or we finally heard him. I don't know how that all works, um, but nonetheless, we know now that uh, God has put a burden on the heart of of Pastor John Robertson and his wife, Lisa. They are gonna be moving their family this spring to PEI, and we're gonna be doing the groundwork to launch uh, King's Church in Charlottetown, and I could not be more excited and more confident and more proud of John and Lisa. They're going to they're gonna just do amazing, amazing things there. And God, they've been on such an incredible journey uh, as a couple and as a ministry family now. And it's incredible. I think just the time this is, for such a time as this, God is sending them there. And I just look even at that picture. Um, I'm all cried out for the weekend, but I just got thinking about, no, I'm not all cried out. <laughs> uh, you just think about the people there that God is after. And like freedom, he wants to give people and changing legacies and changing family lines and redeeming stories and changing histories. Like we get to be part of that. It's amazing. And so I'm excited about that. So our investment today is really is going to help propel this and propel all these things. And so, so that's one area of soil. Another area of soil is this idea and this area of training. I know now that we are at a stage where the need is outpacing our ability to supply healthy leadership. And I need, we need to take seriously the fact that God wants us to raise up leaders. That's the work of the ministry. Did you know that? The work of a pastor isn't someone that does all the stuff. My job is to raise people up to do the ministry God wants to do. And so we want to do that better as a, as a church family for everybody who's part of King's Church. But specifically, we feel that God has put his finger upon us to say, I want this church to be a place where, where people who have a call to full-time ministry can find it and be uh, trained up here at King's Church. And so I'm believing for the day where we have a dozen or two dozen or three dozen residents and interns, and we have a whole wing and branch of our ministry that's developing them and training them whether it's students from colleges or whether it's people who are transitioning, like Adam, who was, a, who was an electrician that, they, that God just called out of that into ministry. We just want to be a, a training resource. I, I kind of picture it like uh, the regional hospital is for, for Dalhousie. They send their, their, their residents there. And we want to be a church like that, where we've just got constant influx of students that we're raising up to either uh, serve in our ministry or we're sending them out to other great ministries all around the world. 
world. And so I'm believing for that in the near future. So we're going to start investing heavy in that, and that will be new territory. And then we have some areas of tools or just spaces and things that we need to invest in. And specifically, one thing we need to get right away is somebody to stop sneaking around in the back stairwell. Uh, <laughs> one thing we need to get right away is facilities and meeting spaces for our King's Church Halifax. Uh, Pastor Seth has had a beautiful office called Starbucks for the last two and a half years. Uh, and they, he's been great about it, but really that's, he doesn't really care about having an office. What we need is a space to do celebrate recovery and a space to do midweek events and things that they can have a presence that's more than just they pop up on Sunday and then they're gone. And so we want to get them a space. And I'll tell you what, uh, real estate and space to lease or buy in, in uh, Halifax is a different animal than it is here. So we'd be praying for favor and funding for that. We also want to continue to invest in our technology to be able to get, did you know that more people participate in your church that you're a part of uh, digitally than they do in person? More people will hear the message every week via, through a screen than they will in person. And that's the world we live in. And God has given us, again, a grace for that. And we have a huge online footprint that we honestly just need to start figuring out what to do with and how to steward that better and invest in it. We also, and we want to start gearing up for this. This is really exciting. Uh, we're going to start developing plans and looking for land to build a building on the west side. Uh, we really believe that once we get a foothold there, like, can you imagine if we had a space like this on the west side? And we were able to have not just services for our, for our church family, but you know that this facility that you're sitting in, it's not just a place for our church to gather. Like we have a, a kingdom-oriented uh, daycare that runs Monday through fi Friday. We've got like 190 kids that come to this place every single week. We're running a kingdom business out of here, and it's awesome. We, hire, we uh, employ about 30 people uh, for that that aren't on pastoral staff. We, we have community events. We held the election here. Uh, we have out third parties that rent this space. We also, this is a, this is a family counseling center. We do family crisis counseling uh, throughout the week that happens right here. We have midweek programs every Tuesday night. This is a recovery center. 180, 200 people show up for Celebrate Recovery. Like this building gives us a kingdom presence in Quispam Sis. And I'd love to see that happen on the west side. And if you go talk to the people who attend our west location, they're hungry for and ready for it. It's going to be really cool to see us kind of step in that direction. So these are the areas that we are kind of stepping into. And so really, if you have eyes to see, much like the woman who, who invested upon Jesus, it was a wise investment. It wasn't wasteful, it was wisdom. And for us, this is wisdom. And it's center, centering around a few ideas. First, just practical. If we're gonna grow, we have to invest. If we're gonna reach further, we need to reach, correct? The definition of, definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and expect different results. We have to keep investing. That's what stewardship is. That's why in the parable of the talents, the, the master, when he rewarded, when he rewarded the, 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 the stewards who did well, what did he do? He gave them what? More more to steward, more to invest. And that's where we're at now. There's just more of it and more of us. But it's about being practical. More than that, though, for me, it's about reaching potential. Um, I believe we haven't even scratched the surface of what God could do through a church like us in Atlantic Canada. I don't even think we've... I, I'm not just saying that, like hyperbol, hyperbolically. I'm not just saying it. I, I really believe that. Yesterday, my, my daughter and I were driving through St. John on the, on the thruway. We went by Harbor Station, and I, I told my daughter, that's not Harbor Station anymore. It's TD Station now. And she goes, why is it TD Station? I go, because TD bought it, <laughs> and they put their name on it. And, and, and she goes, we should put King's Church on it. I'm like, yes, we should. <laughs> King's Church Station. And, <laughs> and I go, honey, I don't know if we'll ever own that, but we'll fill it someday. And I believe that for sure. And I said, and that's not far away. In fact, like we'll have more people that come to our Christmas services than could fit in there in one sitting. 
And so we're already in that range. But I'm believing for big things and the potential of what God could do. You know, something has shifted in my mind. And let me just, let me just tell you this. I think it's important. You need to know something about where we're at as a church right now. And I don't say this to boast. I don't say this to boast in me or in you. If, it's, if anybody gets credit, it's what Jesus has done and is doing. But you right now are the largest church that has ever existed east of Montreal in Atlantic Canada. Like you're, you're the, it's, there's never been a larger group of people it's very, it's very cool. Yes, it's, and, but you, you know, that's great. So we're making church history, right? But God is shifting my mindset from like even caring about church history to let's not talk about church history anymore. Let's talk about history, history. Let's talk about what's written about Atlantic Canada and how the kingdom of God came in and shaped a new story. That's what I'm interested in. I believe that's what God is calling us to. And I believe there's a revival and a movement coming to this region that is absolutely, just like uh, America was so shaped by the Great Awakening, I believe that something is going to happen in and through the local church in Atlantic Canada that in the, that in the, you know, the, the, the annals of history, you'll look back and say the church, God did something through those people in that season in that area that shaped them for generations. And that's what I'm believing. I'm believing to start having impact, not just on churches, but on cities. That's what I think God wants to do. And so we have massive potential. And the other reason it's not a waste is because it's, it's, it's about stewardship. It's about being responsible. Here, here's a fact. About three years ago, something switched in my mind from saying, wow, we're the largest church ever in Atlantic Canada. That's so cool to, whoa. We're the largest church ever in Atlantic Canada. You know that scripture that says like, to whom much is given, much is expected. And God is gonna look upon me as a leader and us as a pastoral team and you as people who are part of this family. And he's not gonna say, wow, so cool. You were part of the biggest church east of Montreal in the history of Atlantic Canada. He's gonna say, what did you do with the fact that I gave you more opportunity, more brilliant people, more capacity, more resource, more opportunity than I gave any other church? I'm holding you accountable. And so we actually have a responsibility. So for us, it's not wasteful. It's worth it. We believe this is the absolute best investment there is. I believe that they're pound for pound. There is nothing more fruitful than a healthy local church. And we've seen it. We've seen the difference that we've been able to make just in seven years. Imagine that multiplying and compounding. This is why Jesus was rebuking the disciples when they said something that makes sense to us, doesn't it? What'd they say? They said, why didn't you sell this and what? Give it to the, yeah, why didn't, you, why didn't you sell it and give it to the poor? That makes more sense. That seems more noble. And Jesus said what? He says, the poor you'll always have among you. Now, I used to think was he saying, well, there's times to give to the poor and times not to. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Jesus at one point said, I will hold you accountable. Whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. What's he saying? He's saying invest in such a way. What he, he said, she has anointed me for burial. She's invested in something that's going to produce eternal fruit. Do you see the difference? Invest in the supply line, not the product. Invest in the thing that creates the fruit, not in the meal. Do you see, you see what he's saying? When you invest in the local church, you're actually planting seed that grows the tree that bears the fruit. Sometimes it seems easier for us to just give to the, to the hungry, right? And we need to do that. But the better investment is, is, is investing in the thing that actually grows and bears the fruit that the, that the, you know, the mission agency and the, the homeless shelters, they sit on the arms of the local church. Every nonprofit, every, uh, you know, parachurch organization, what's it? it's sitting on the arms, on the branches of the local church. The local church is the pound for pound best investment we can make. It's smart for us. It's shrewd. And so that's why so many of us are giving this weekend. So that's why so many of us are giving above and beyond this weekend. But it's more personal than just that it's wise. For us, it's not just wise, it's worship. It's worship. And for this woman, it wasn't just wisdom. 
It was worship. I, I love this picture and I wish I had more time. I don't. I think I'm going to do a series on this because the more I read it and the more I meditate on it, the more it just pops out at me. There's so much gospel and so much good news in this one picture. Maybe that's why Jesus said we'll always be talking about it because there's lots to talk about. But in it, I want, I want to point out a couple of things about this woman that will give us maybe some insight as to, as to what was going on beneath the surface. It says this. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, are, are you still good? Are you with me, by the way? Okay. A little quick little Bible study just gives some context to why she gave so lavishly and why y'all and we are going to give so lavishly. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So picture all of them around a table. Their tables are about this high and you leaned into the table. You didn't lean back, you leaned into it and your feet are out away from you. So Leonardo da Vinci had it all wrong with the Last Supper, just saying. So reclined at the table, and then it says this, a woman in that town, uh, some translations say of the city. And what it's not getting at is that she's a city girl. You know, this isn't, that's not what it's talking about. This is, this is clear language. Um, this translation, NIV says, a woman of the town who lived a sinful life. Uh, every scholar unanimously agrees that this is language to try to help you understand, the original reader understand that this woman was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She was a woman of the night, a, a girl, a, a prostitute from that city. She learned that Jesus was there. And it says that she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. Get that picture in your mind. And she kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, what's going on here? Now, clearly you all can see at very least she's having a moment, correct? Like she is full. How much does one have to cry to gather enough moisture to clean someone's feet? Like she's having a full-fledged ugly cry, right? Like it's just dripping off her cheeks. Like this is a moment, right? Anybody had a good ugly cry lately watching Hallmark Christmas movies? Cry at them too. They're terrible. Just joke, just joke. Oh, just, just relax. My wife's going to kill me. She loves them. Anyway, Candace Cameron is in every one of them. And they're all the same. Some guy whose, whose wife trashed him and left him for some other man in some small town. Anyway, look, they're all the same. It's funny. But this story is unique. And it says that she's wiping her, his feet with her hair. Now, in order to wipe feet with hair, uh, a couple of things. One, she has to have what? Long hair. And it has to be down, Right? Like if, if it's in a bun, that's going to be very difficult. I don't know how you're doing that. It had to be down. She was literally using it like a cloth. That's the picture here. And now to us, when you, when you see that she let her hair down, you know, we think, oh, cool. You know, she let, let loose, girl, right? Like that's, that's really what letting your hair down means in our culture. It's express yourself, you know, that flip your hair thing. That's not what it meant in Jesus's culture. In Jesus's culture, this was one of the most intimate things that a woman could do. Women's hair was meant to be up. And if a woman's hair was down, that was actually, if she was a married woman and someone saw her with her hair down that was not her husband, that's grounds for divorce. This is a shameful thing. This is a sacred thing. This is a very private thing. This is meant for the bedroom only, for his eyes only. And yet we have this picture of her letting her hair down before Jesus. And it's this metaphorical picture. It's showing us something deeper that's going on in her where she has let down all of the facades and all of the controls and all of the things and checks and balances and things of her life that she's trying to get just so. She's let it down and she is just herself at the feet of Jesus. Fully accepted there herself. Like, I know women, y'all know, y'all know, you can, you can maybe understand it better than maybe some of us guys. We, we don't maybe, when we put our hair up, you know, it's presuming we have hair, 
Uh, metaphorically speaking, it looks different than for a lot of women. You know, women, you're very good at just kind of keeping everything just so. Guys, we, we sort of project an image a different way. Maybe there's just certain things about us that we try to make sure you, you know what's up. But women, like I, I'll dare to typecast here. I know I might have some exceptions, but I have noticed this in my wife anyway, uh, and she did not deny it, um, that women are incredible at like just keeping up Appearances. Yeah, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I very uncomfortable? Just tread lightly here. Um, like every guy who's been married, especially, has had a version of this conversation before. Like, you ever have friends show up out of the blue where all of a sudden you're going to be having company and your wife doesn't know it yet? You ever had that like conversation where you're you're out and about and you run into your old college roommate and his wife? Hey, it's Barry and Jane, and all, and then you you decide, hey, well, why don't you come over? It's been a while, and then you realize, oh, maybe she wasn't expecting people, and you call your wife and you say, hey, babe, I'm here with Jane and Barry. Yeah, from college. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, uh, we're coming over. They're coming for a visit. No, yeah, today. Yes, right now. And on the other end of the line, you hear, no, you, no, no, the house is a wreck. There's dog barf in the entryway. The kids are fighting and there's toys everywhere. I haven't even showered yet. I'm in my pajamas, right? Anybody? And then you look to Barry and Jane, you say, she's so excited to see you. She can't even wait to come over. She can't even wait for you to come over. Yeah, I know, babe, I'm excited too. Yeah, all right, we'll be there in three minutes, right? And you hang up, and then you pull into the yard, and by some sorcery that I'll never understand, you open the door, and the kids are sitting neatly at the table doing their homework, dressed, and there's no cat barf in the entryway, and there's toys that are all away, and the house looks pristine, and she takes cookies from out of the oven and, and takes her mitts off and puts the cookies down and folds up her apron and comes out, Barry and Jane, I wasn't expecting you. The house is a wreck, but it's so good to see you, right? Like it's this incredible ability to just kind of do it up, right? And so I think, I think a woman can maybe understand this. Guys, yours is maybe a little different. You want to kind of project a certain image. But what this is getting at is this. She has surrendered her ultimate trust to Jesus. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care that you think it's crazy. She's having a moment with Jesus and she found something in someone to trust that was greater than any of the things that she looked up to and tried to get just so she found something greater to trust. And so when it comes down to these generous offerings like this, like for her, ultimately, this is about trust. This was about finding someone to trust. There's a picture of the gospel here. I wish I had more time today. I don't. But there's this picture of the gospel where she's at the feet of Jesus. And I don't know if she knew this or not, but those feet just a couple days later would be pierced with iron spikes as he's nailed to a cross, as they're bleeding out, as he becomes the alabaster vial of perfume where the most precious, precious liquid has ever been poured out of of the soft rock. He is there on the cross that I don't know if she knew that or not but there she is at his feet almost foreshadowing where she would be a few days later with the mother of Jesus seeing him die for her sins and your sins and my sins like maybe she knew I have found the one I've found the one who I can trust like maybe she knew that if God would give me his son how much more not also along with him, won't he give us all things? Here's the reason why some of us have a hard time giving. It's because you don't trust that God can take care of you. But when you have the revelation of who he is and that he came, that he left everything for you and me, all of a sudden it becomes easy to give because you realize if he is my source and he is what I trust, like quite literally, think about it this way, for her, Jesus was her life savings. Pun intended. Jesus was her trust fund. Like that's the gospel. Look at look at it. What it says. Uh, where was that? Uh, that was important. Second Corinthians nine. Uh, that's in there somewhere. There it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor 
so that through his poverty, you might become rich. That's the gospel. Did she know that? See, for us today, we can give because we trust Jesus. If you really believe in Jesus, you really believe who he is, and he did what we believe he did, and he is doing what we believe he's doing, and he's going to do what we believe he's going to do, then it becomes a lot easier to give because your trust is not in how much money is in your bank account. It's not in how much money you're going to earn over the course of your life. Your trust is in him. So for her, Jesus was her trust. One more thought, Jesus was her treasure. Such an interesting passage of scripture. Ben, you can come back. I'm gonna pray in just a second. But it's such an interesting passage of scripture because you see her kind of just surrender herself to Jesus and then she pours out what for her was her most prized possession. It was this alabaster jar or vial of perfume. And now uh, for her, there's a significance that it carried that it might not have carried for someone else because of who she was. And this is why Jesus was so moved by her. It wasn't what it was, it was whose it was that made it so powerful. You see, for her, this was more than just an expensive commodity that she had. In her line of work, especially in those days, that was her value. It was her fragrance. It was her aroma. This is what she sold other people. This is how she convinced her clients that she was a good investment. You see that? She would have actually worn it around her neck. It would have hung down around her heart. And uh, an alabaster vial is actually a small rock that's been carved out. It's very soft and it would actually leak. It would actually sweat uh, the smell. And so wherever she went, that would be the aroma of this, of this precious perfume. And, but it says that she actually poured it out on Jesus. So, so what, what happened? She broke the rock. She dumped it out. She released the whole thing upon him. Now, what's that symbolic of? That's symbolic of the thing she used to treasure now pales in comparison to the treasure that is before her. Has anybody ever had that happen in your life where something you used to think was priceless all of a sudden in comparison to something so much more valuable isn't as priceless as you thought it was? Anybody like go from Ford to Chev? I'm just joking. No, for me, like, uh, for me, I, I noticed this when we had our first child, Ava. Now, I'm not a cat guy. Uh, my wife has two cats. They live in my house. I don't mind them. I just don't like... Something shifted in me though, like I was much more attached and I had much more place in my heart for their value uh, before I had a child that looks like me and is my flesh and blood that I would literally die for. All of a sudden, it, didn't, it wasn't okay for me to call the cat my baby. It's not my baby, it's just this little furball, right? Like this. I would never kick a cat very often. I'm just joking. I don't do that. My wife would kill me. I, I want to live. Um, she loves them very much. But compared to the value of my children, that is no longer a treasure. You know, they're great. I feel like I'm offending cat people today. It's not my intention with this illustration understand that when something valuable comes up against something of surpassing worth, all of a sudden it's no longer as valuable. And so for her, as she's pouring this thing that just hours before was a treasure, is no longer a great treasure. It is just an act of worship. She is now treasuring Jesus with that which she used to treasure. Think about it. I thought about this. This struck me last night as we were praying. If you think about you know, this woman who'd been purchased so many times, by so many men had realized that Jesus had now purchased her and the thing that she used to sell all the men, she was now pouring out upon him as this beautiful act of surrender and worship. See, Jesus purchased us once and for all. He is the treasure. And so for us today, as we give, we don't give out of compulsion like Paul says. We don't give reluctantly. If you're gonna give, Give like her, give in trust. Give realizing that if I give, 
Jesus is faithful to give unto me. He will take care of you. You can be risky if it's poured out on Jesus. You can take a step of faith unto Jesus. He will not fail you. Some of you need to start trusting him first and see that he is faithful and good. Pour out your trust. Pour out your treasure upon the treasure. That's what we're doing. That's why we're doing it. It might seem crazy to you, but for us, like what's money compared to Jesus? What's a little bit of time compared to Jesus? It pales in comparison. For us, it's wisdom and it's worship and it's worth it. Amen? So here's what I'm asking everybody. Take your next step. Uh, some of you need to get in the game. And I'm not going to talk about this again for another year. So get in the game. Take ownership. Some of you, and this is my heart as a pastor. Honestly, this is the one that I like. I'm praying for some of you. Listen, it's not, it's not, I don't, I want this for you. You need to understand that. You will experience a God you never knew the moment you start operating in faith and you start setting some space out and saying, God, I'm giving you the first 10%. I'm giving you the first thought of my day. I'm giving you a day a week unto you. If you start carving that space out to him, I guarantee you, you're gonna be blown away by what he does with that space. I can't tell you how many times I have had conversation after conversation with those of you who started tithing, you started giving regularly, and you started to see God show up in ways. It's called favor. And you step into his favor. My hope, my hope for a bunch of you is that you take this opportunity. You feel God putting it on your heart. There's a bunch of you that you used to tithe and you used to actually do that and you stopped and you got out of the habit. I'm asking you to get back into it. And then there's a bunch of you who you already practice stewardship that are just gonna give God an offering. Maybe it's a one-time thing today, or maybe like, like my wife and I who feel God calling us to, to be kingdom builders, uh, we're gonna do that over the year. And we're gonna just covenant with God and say, God, we are gonna do this in faith and we're gonna give this sacrificial offering to you because we believe that you're worth it, because we can trust you that you're gonna take care of us. I don't know how I'm gonna get the full amount yet, but we're, it's, we're gonna come good for it and you're gonna be good to us and I believe it. And so I wanna invite you uh, to take a minute as Kelly and the band lead us in a song. Uh, we're gonna respond and we've got these pots uh, at all four corners of the room. And this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment of consecration and covenant. And God is leading each one of you for your next step. Don't compare yourself to what the person to the left or the right is doing. God is asking you just to take a step and take a step of faith. So if you'd help us by filling out this, this card or, or a Kingdom Builder card, if you'd do that, it would give us the best information to be able to take this and steward it in a way that brings maximum kingdom fruit, which is what we're trying to do. So take a minute, pray over it. I'm gonna come back up in a second and pray that God will multiply multiply this for his glory and for your benefit and for a legacy that, that far outgoes and outgrows us. But take a minute and let's respond. So stand to your feet. Uh, if you do need to sit to fill it out, go ahead. But let's just worship in this moment. And you can come forward all four corners. If you need uh, debit or, or uh, visa or you want to text, you can do that. We've got our table at the back. You can give through debit and visa. This is a one-time offering. Let's make a commitment, though, uh, to Jesus this morning. So come. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.